Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Buckle up. This next conversation is fascinating. I speak with Deborah Miskell, Chief Mental Health Officer, Consulting Psychologist at Deloitte Integrated Mental Health Service, and Dr. Naylor, Leader of Performance Psychology at Deloitte. Both of these individuals have a background in psychology, Deborah with forensic and Dr. Naylor with sports. So how did they end up at Deloitte? They answer this question, including how it felt to join the firm, and they talk about what kind of risks they had to take. We talk in detail about the particulars of how they're building a cutting edge and pioneering practice around mental health within the Deloitte organization. Anyone with decision-making authority in your business needs to listen to this conversation to better understand how you can support your team and employees with respect to mental health. Trust me, this is truly cutting edge and you haven't heard it before. You really don't want to miss this one. Enjoy this episode. Thank you both Dr. Naylor and Deborah for joining me today on Relatable. I'm so excited to have you here. Deborah and I have been friends for a long time and I've been chasing her a bit to get her to join us on Relatable. And when we spoke, she said immediately, Dr. Naylor, that we had to have you join us for this conversation. So what I'd like to do is first start by having you introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about what you're doing together. I think that's a great place to start in terms of you have a unique role in a corporate setting. And I think it's something that is innovative and kind of pioneering. And I think that other organizations could benefit from from what you're doing. So Deborah, maybe I'll start with you and talk a little bit about what you're doing at Deloitte. Sure. So I am the newly appointed Chief Mental Health Officer at Deloitte. And I've been here almost 10 years now and have evolved a somewhat amorphous role to one with more structure and formality. Uh, It's taken a lot of time to get here. But we run a psychological services division that's quite comprehensive, deep in expertise and knowledge with a big internal team. And I think it speaks to the firm's commitment to psychological health and what that brings. But I think in, in, in terms of innovation and forward thinking, one of the things that we really wanted to do was respond to some gaps in your kind of routine way of dealing with psychology and organizations, which tends to default to and EAP. The EAPs are, it's just a tough industry right now. We were feeling like it really wasn't meeting our needs in terms of scope and, and a lot of other issues. And the, probably the bigger thing that it was a swing and a miss on was frame of reference of our culture. And so what we started to piece together over many, many years was addressing clinical need organizational need, but we wanted to really add that color and flavor for the firm frame of reference. So this is where uh, probably what now, Adam, five or six years ago, I cold called Adam at at Boston University and said, I think we're missing something. And it's it had to do with the how psychology is working within the high performance environment. And that's where we decided to team up. So we have a psychology services program serving our 82,000 
leaders and professionals, both clinically from that management advisory function and with high performance psychology in mind. So I'll turn it over to Adam. To, um, oh, gosh, you know, Deborah just summed that up tremendously. Um, she, she mentioned she's been at the firm for 10 years in some terrific leadership roles in the psychological space. I, I don't know how we count. I've either been at the firm for one year or about five, because as you heard, Deborah reached out to me five years ago. And my official title is I lead, I'm the leader of performance psychology for Deloitte. I, I'll be very blunt. I, I had no plans of being internal at Deloitte in my life. And I will also tell you, I am absolutely thrilled because of this forward thinking approach we're taking and having a blast with it with Deborah, because I think we're serving the people well. So my background, I always say, if you read my doctoral degree, it says counseling psychology. But I always say I would never know a normal human being if I bumped into him because most people know me as the sports psychology guy or the leadership psychology guy. And what really happened, again, it was about five years ago, and Deborah says it well. I remember it was summer. I was sitting at my Boston University office where my my family jokes, I had two full-time jobs. I had a vibrant sports psychology practice serving athletes around the globe at that point, and I was on faculty teaching people how to do what I do, which I loved. And Deborah called up and she said, hi, I'm Deborah Miskell. I'm from Deloitte. I've, I don't know, I've, I've dug you up online. This was like before. Trolled you. Everything. Yes, I don't even want to know. Like she'd done something. And then she said, I, I think Deloitte needs someone like you and our leaders in particular. And I was like, who is this crazy woman? Thank God we got to talk high school football for 30 minutes because that yeah. was fun. And I've yeah. learned more about that in five years than I ever thought I wanted. But then she paused. She said, I believe the space you exist in understands stress and complexity. And I was like, bing, bing, bing. That, that is what I operate in. That is this preventative space, this help people through transition space that I live in. I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, I, I, think, I think Deborah has some sort of interesting idea. Because I think we can have a really strong, psychologically grounded approach to these things in a corporate space. That's also integrated, right? That's truly married to the clinical side as well. Because oftentimes that doesn't happen, right? You have your L&D that, that talks kind of, here are the ideas that you should learn from the human side. And there's our EAP or our psychology. And Deborah said, how do we integrate this so we serve our people better? In my area at first the leaders better so they can thrive as humans, but also lead and drive business better. So that's really kind of where I sit in the initial vision. How do I do, Deborah, summing that up? Yeah, that's awesome, Adam. You know, and, and Teresa, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but in part, what we were trying to marry up to as, as um, Adam was talking about was we wanted to make the science of psychology relatable to everybody. It's so over-pathologized and over-medicalized. Not that we're not going to ignore at all acknowledge and validate the clinical side of things. But we sort of drifted into this space where nobody sees psychology as relatable unless you're in the ditch or in the crisis or it's super, super serious mental illness. We, we, we attend that better than anybody. But we also wanted to take the, the open up the aperture, if you will, and say there's something for everybody from you know, across the, the spectrum of human experience, because it, it, we've, we're finding highly stigmatized, right? And people weren't relating to it if they weren't having that experience in the moment. So we just were, were kind of sitting off to the side. So now we've, we've really opened up that view and are inviting everybody in wherever they're at in a very validating and professional way and giving something for everybody. 
I, it's so exciting what, what you're doing and the way that you talk about it. Even when I was at Deloitte, there was a lot of conversation around the corporate athlete and being able to understand the aspects of what it means to be in a high, highly stressful, highly complex environment. So to your point, Dr. Naylor, like the idea that you're training and existing in a way much like an elite athlete does. And there are so many parallels. And that that was really for me going through that eye-opening and a lot of aha moments of we run hard, we gun hard, and there's this rest and recovery piece and it's all applicable. Before we jump into some more questions about the practice, because I feel like there's so many avenues we could go in in terms of what you both talked about and how it could benefit our audience. Deborah, for one second, I'd love to hear about your path because you have an interesting story and background. And so for those that are listening and thinking that those sound like an amazing opportunity or that kind of, you know, partnership to work in an organization in this way, how can I do that? How can I be that? I feel like your path is certainly unconventional. And Dr. Larry, you just described you, you had never thought you'd be here. <laughs> so um, I'm interested, Deborah, just to share a little bit about your, your, your background. Absolutely. So I, like Adam, did not ever envision myself at a professional services firm. So my background is in forensic and criminal psychology. And from as, as long as I can remember, I was fascinated by crime and the kind of psychological factors that led somebody to do certain types of act in certain ways. And so um, I legit was going to be the next Clarice Starling. I mean, I was on that you know, back in the day, it was not uh, as a clear path as it is now. So I was trying to piece together many, many years ago, a pathway to get enough clinical forensic psychology, sort of police psychology, investigative psychology, if you will, to piece together enough education training experience to get me into the, you know, kind of law enforcement and profiling behavioral sciences on the criminal side. And was was well on my way. I, my career started out in the U.S. Department of Justice, and this this wasn't even a thought on my radar. And had a you know just kind of a family pivot. I literally had been offered a job with the FBI, gone through a, a year long top secret clearance, got a start date, and had a, had to pivot. And I don't regret the pivot because it was necessary for my family, but. You know, everything for a reason, right? And and so I legit was just starting to go, I've got to make this pivot, got into man- management consulting and found it kind of interesting and started to make relationships with marquee clients, you know, your professional services firms, banks, et cetera. And I met a guy and that guy was a mentor and a friend and somebody very, very near and dear to me. And he had this kind of cool job, kind of like mine. And I remember kind of thinking like, how do you, how do you get to that path? Because it's it's an unusual path. It's not one that's, there aren't a lot of opportunities in that space, in part because people don't think about the importance of it internally, let's say like Deloitte does. And we got to talking a lot, very much like our relationship, got to know each other really well. And I was sort of, um, Deloitte was the client, I was the consultant. And I asked him a question because we were really good friends. And I said, how did you get where you were? How did you get where you, you know, you, you ended up? And he told me all good things to those who wait. And I was kind of stymied by the response and probably felt like he was giving me a boundary saying, probably don't, you know, maybe that's not the appropriate question to ask in a client consultant relationship. But he had already been thinking about bringing me into the firm. He knew I sort of got what the firm was needing and 
he was going to be retiring on his way out, you know, as all this was, was kind of coalescing decisions about law enforcement and, and the FBI versus this. Deloitte ended up making an offer I couldn't refuse. It was just personally um, best for me. And they were going to allow me to pursue my passions in that space because there are a lot of forensic things that actually happen in a firm like ours. And so the, yeah. it sounds like an odd combination, but it, it's actually worth its weight in gold. And so it was really a little bit of serendipity being open to opportunity, but also being bold enough to ask. Yeah. And so from there, I literally came in with no job description and they're just like, I guess, do you. And so 10 years later, we have a, you know, very big psychology services division serving our people. You know, one thing I'll say about that, and I think it's so important for people to understand that even the the notion of good things come to those who wait, the, the patients required to see the long game, if you have a certain vision or you have something that is important that you see the benefit or you could see the potential. And I think to talk about 10 years, I mean, 10 years is a long time and 10 years is a long time to navigate and influence an organization like Deloitte, particularly for you who didn't have, you didn't grow up in Deloitte, right? And, and Dr. Naylor's probably experiencing the same thing. When you don't grow up there, there's a certain thing that happens when it's organic and you're there for a long time and you build those relationships and it, it can make it a little easier to navigate and influence. And I, and Deborah, so I had, you know, you and I worked very closely together so I could see it firsthand, but even though we haven't been that work closely the last few years, I still know what that means to, to create that and to have that patience and to figure out where can we add value so it matters now, even though you might have something further down the road that's like, I know this is ultimately what we could do here, kind of bringing people along the journey. I'd be interested, Dr. Naylor, from your perspective, what you what you thought you were going to experience when you got here and, and what the difference is, right? And what are maybe some of the challenges and maybe some of the surprises in a good way, just in terms of that transition for you? Wow. Um, th that's a heck of a question because it's... I, I do my best. <laughs> no, well, well, I think about it because I always think, I, I hope I'm a weird bird in Deloitte a little bit and will always be a weird bird in Deloitte because I think yeah. that's why I was brought in, right? Being a little bit yeah. different. And when you ask the question, I say it's an interesting question because if I had just flipped in to the firm, never having any relationship with the firm, it would have been different than this experience of having served leaders over the last four years. Yeah. Right. So, so my decision to join the firm was incredibly intentional. When, when last summer, Deborah and Rewards Recognition and Wellbeing said, will you join the firm internally? It, it was almost a no brainer. A, the challenge was too, just too, gi too gigantic to turn down. Yeah. And to me, that's what I enjoy. The thought process was, as we like to say, distinctly Deloitte, that it really hasn't been done the way Deborah's trying to build it yet. And to me, that was really interesting and the people. So I had the good fortune of four years, uh, four or five years now, spending time with Deborah and getting to know Deborah, right? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like, I don't know, Deborah, I hope it's fair to say, I think I was on her speed dial. You know, for anything non-clinical, it was like, hey, Adam, let's chat. I, I think I'm, I think I might have a guy. I think I might, I might have someone that's really, that, that might be interesting and this will serve well. So I got to really get to meet Deborah and her vision over time. And in some ways, even externally helped co-create it, which to me was fun and gave me comfort. Also in that role, I was just serving partners and managing directors. 
So I, I think over that time in a very short way, I think I'd served over a hundred. So I came in with people that are really supportive. And, and frankly, I, I will always say, it's just how I, I'd say it, like, it's unbelievable the support for what we're trying to build. And it's also terrifying because everyone's so enthusiastic. I'm like, could you temper it a little bit and say, just be okay today. Right. <laughs> um, so it's been interesting. I feel so fortunate. I would have never said yes, if it wasn't for the people, the people at Deloitte that I had met the last four years, like that was, I had a very thorough and thriving sports practice. You know, I was blessed, yeah. you know, the U S opens going on right now. I would have been sitting courtside, but I was like, wait a second, this challenge in these people, this is terrific. So one, it was easy on that end. Mm-hmm. It's been tough on the, okay, how do you learn how to keep things moving in a big way? You know, I joke, and I don't know if I've ever said this to Deborah, but I've said it to some PPMDs that go, hey, Adam, how's it going? I'm like, I don't know if I lead a team of one or a hundred. It's really tough to tell in a matrix organization. I know I have access to every resource I could ever dream. And I know we can really move the needle, but now let's figure out how. So I think that's what I'm always kind of working in my head going, we're going to build, we're going to keep building this incredibly cool thing. How do we keep it cooking with gas? Yeah. I think that answered your question. It did did for sure. And I'm curious, and I think it's a good segue to, and I'd like you both to answer this, but I'll start with you, Dr. Naylor. But in terms of working with leaders and some of the pain points, right? Some of the things that perhaps people can relate to and how you are of service to these folks. And then I'd be interested, Deborah, in your perspective too, after that, in terms of what you've seen over the last 10 years that, you know, it's, it'd be an interesting dialogue between the two, your two points of view on on this, but for you, Dr. Nair, like, how are you helping people? And what are you seeing as like, that aren't the acute issues, right? We know there can be severe acute issues that, that maybe aren't the norm. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. Yeah, I I think it's so, in a wonderful way, tough to summarize, and that's our challenge, because we're not, the space I sit in performance psychology, we're not requiring a pain point for the connection. So what's really cool, I'd say a third of the leaders that take advantage of this resource they've seen, they say, wait a second, you have subject matter experts in performance psychology at your disposal. Over 80% of our panel is doctoral level practitioners. Like, mm-hmm. So just think about that with a specialization. That can serve and counsel, coach, whatever term you want someone well. Some people go, I just want to have a call with them to figure out how I can use them. Mm-hmm. Right, And to me, that's a, a wonderful challenge. And that's really what I've pulled from my sports practice over the years is it's not why are you broken? It's how do we keep growing together? And that doesn't mean there's not bumps in the road, but let's go. There's bumps in the road. Let's get to work. Mm-hmm. So a one, it's not always about a pain point. Sometimes it's just about how do I want to grow and how do I want to exist with this great resource in my back pocket as a leader? I think that's a challenge for us to articulate, right? Because when there's a pain point, there's something to fix. I'm not sure we always want to be in fix-it mode. Secondly, it's actually tough on all the professionals we contract with because it's a lot easier when someone says I'm broken to go after it. So one, there's not always a clean pain point. I would say topic-wise, and you you heard me sort of allude to it a little bit, um, when I was talking to Deborah in that first call and she talked about stress and complexity, 
I was like, that's a psychological factor. How do we help someone navigate stress and complexity so we smooth it out a little bit? You know, how do we communicate better with one another? Humans existing with humans is an emotional experience for better, worse, and indifferent. We're not going to take the human experience away from life, but can we smooth it out and upskill, I think is really important. The other, I think, quick note I'll put to your question. My resource is used really well during transition points. And if we know it, anyone that dives into the psychological literature knows transitions in life, whether it's college to a job, whether it's from, you know, middle age to old age, you name it, tends to take three to five years and is stressful. That's normal. So we try and speed it up a little bit, but we also try and go, guess what? Let's navigate this normal, healthy human stress in a distinctively Deloitte way so we can keep thriving together a little bit better. So I think pain point is a, I love it and I hate it, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I want people showing up going, well, I'm broken. Yeah. And we're blessed that we have really forward thinking leaders that are like, no, no, we just want to use this because it will make us better leaders, better humans for us and our families, maybe prevent a few clinical things, but also maybe even open the door so people can get there a little bit better with that integration piece. Sometimes it's like, Adam, I know you understand this stuff. And I'll be like, I do. And you actually want to talk to Deborah. So that's that integrated piece yeah. that does not exist many places, frankly, which is really cool. Yes. And I really picked up it before you chime in. I, I think what is great about what you're describing, at least just listening to you, there's no stigma at all. There's no reason I shouldn't reach out and have that conversation because it's available to me. It's it's high caliber professionals, just like Deloitte experiences, both internally with themselves and their clients. And then it's this way of going from good to great, or just like, I love the idea of not necessarily fixing it, but how do you transform or change in a way that maybe just with a little bit of intention? I think that's fantastic. I, I think you nailed it. And I'd be curious what Deborah thinks. I think yeah. almost position is you'd be a fool as a leader yeah. not to take advantage of this resource, right? In some ways I will use, I, I try never to overdo the sports thing because it gets done in such a trite way in corporate settings. But we do have like this Olympic mindset in my mind, meaning you're going to use my resource heavy year one, lighter year two lighter year three, and then not at all year four. And then guess what? You'll probably re-engage. So it's how do we use this just to keep thriving together? Because that's what we do. Love it. All right, Deborah, what about you from your perspective and and what you're seeing in, in, in your half of the world, right? What do you see? So, you know, I have quite a few thoughts, but but one of the things I want to start off is, is when we started a intensive effort with leaders about 10 years ago. And if we're thinking the purely clinical side, we, we knew a couple of things from the research. One, highly skittish about accessing psychological support. So mm-hmm. if, if we're falling it, you know, we're looking at the range, if we're sort of to the right of that range and we're, we're needing something a little bit more um, in, in that vein, because there was a, a Yes, I still think exists today, a, a skittishness about, you know, something's going to happen. My leadership will be challenged, the brand will be damaged, the clients will be disappointed or, or shaky about who I am and what I'm about. So leaders are highly underserved and fall well under, you know, just typical utilization in terms of accessing services because they feel like they have a target on their back. And and then add to that, the, having a knowledge of the, the special nuances, you know, the population as a whole are high performance, you know, professional services firm, same prevalence rates with you know, things going on as everybody else, uh, they're, they're, it took a little bit of time to 
socialize that this isn't a rarefied atmosphere where things don't happen. So we just kind of wanted to say it like I'm a Texan, say it like it is, you know, it is what it is. Let's just get her done. Right. But what I think there was a proving ground for years, and that's where I think a lot of patients came in, is we had to show it wasn't, it was a place for them to come that was experienced, going to meet them where they were at, and that the solutions were built for them. It's a unique role to be a leader in a partnership here. And our professionals, you know, Adam said, you know, most of the folks on his side are doctoral level individuals. We developed highly curated solutions, custom built for this frame of reference. So they didn't feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I went to a routine counselor in the, in the community that doesn't understand I can't work five hours during tax season. So how do we, how do we meet the culture in healthy ways from that frame of reference? We had to prove that um, we were responsive, that we understood their work styles. We had to meet solutions. If you were in London and it was 3 a.m. here, we're going to have a solution for you, right? So it was really building some history and, frankly, overcoming some of the prior bad experiences and kind of reputational issues with the former sort of big box experience. We really had to develop a custom support area here. And I think really what was what was great for us on the clinical side over the years was just word of mouth. We just had to bring people in from the experience. You know, the stigma campaigns and all that kind of stuff, well-intentioned, but we had to put our money where our mouth was and say, we've got what you need. We're inviting you into the space. It Give us a chance to build a trusted relationship with you. And we didn't. Mm-hmm. And so with that history, I think came more tolerance and people were willing to kind of dip their toe in the water with it. But I think you had mentioned something a little earlier about, you know, where did we really pack a punch? And I think, you know, 16, 17 years ago when I was working with with my colleague and mentor and the, the individual whom I succeeded, it was understanding what did the firm think they needed in delivering on that. What they were sort of toying with but didn't have a well-formed concept about is the importance of having folks like us in an advisory capacity. When you're dealing with those complex intersections of psychological issues and the firm in terms of, you can't ignore it. I mean, everything that we're doing is, of course, for the health and well-being of our people. That is 100% um, our priority. And also, how do we protect the firm? How do we manage risk? How do we keep operations running? And, And our advisory, I think, is what brought the leg over the fence on how psychology can be helpful to the firm because we're meeting those pockets of need, but in an elevated way. We have five doctoral level individuals internally. We have three exceptionally seasoned clinicians internal. My team had competed against anybody in in the world on this. It is the strongest, most clinically and high-performance psychology seasoned expert professionals you're going to find. And We've shown what we can offer with high levels of expertise, high levels of responsiveness, meeting the pockets of the need, and we we were able to sell it, but it took some time. I'm, I'm curious, Dr. Naylor, for you, and maybe for people that are, now that you've talked about the sports psychology practice and what got you to where, to the point where someone's calling, like a Deborah's calling you, right? <laughs> so that took time for you to evolve that practice. What are some of the things that you did to to navigate and grow your career? And I, I guess the kind of second part to that question is, 
how did it ultimately situate you to get this opportunity, right? Because that doesn't just happen by luck in terms of your intention about how you developed your own practice and your own discipline. Wow, that's a great question. It almost feels like reflecting on a a 30-year career (laughs) right here. And I've been thinking about this a fair amount lately. I know I was was asked the other day if I'll sit on a conference panel about um, failures and what you learned. And and I actually struggled with that question because my career has been one of constant iteration, if you will. Right. I don't think my job is to judge if I'm a success or failure. Someone else can. That, that, that's on them. But it's been a constant iterating and trying to add depth. So it's really interesting. You actually mentioned the corporate athlete and Jim Lair. That's actually part of the way I got into the field because Jim Lair was huge in sports psychology who created the corporate athlete in the 80s. The corporate athlete was basically created in the 90s. So I've always been like, how do you learn, add depth and look to the next step? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's been this real geekiness. And Deborah knows that about me. I I might be the biggest geek in this space possible. You know, for a decade, I read all the performance psychology literature. Now I read almost all social psychology and cognitive psychology. I'm like, okay, what's next? So I think there was this building of depth. And that was critical. Or Deborah would have never, you know, spoken to me past a month or two. Because Mm -hmm. as she said, that depth of knowledge, if you're coming into a space of psychology where you're expected to be an expert and build trust. Mm-hmm. You you better have both depth and hopefully breadth as well, because in this day and age of psychology, someone can sniff out the hashtag pretty quick. Yep, I saw that. People can sniff out their performative psychology tasks. So one, my whole career has been, how do I keep building depth? And that's been, one could say tactical, but it's also who I am. I'm, I'm grossly curious about mm-hmm. this space I exist in and how I serve. So I think that's one I think the other piece is I've always been lousy at saying no, right? I could have said no to Deborah five years ago, really quite easily. Because honestly, you can't say no to me. It's, it's <laughs> tough if you've met Deborah, but I've said no to the corporate spaces quite a bit in the early 2000s. Yeah. When I got into this space, there were only two advertised jobs for an applied sports psychology person. So a lot of people, if they didn't want to be in academia, they'd be like, the corporate space has a ton of money. Go do the athlete thing there. I'm like, mm, I'm not here to tell every corporate person they're an athlete because that's not true. I, I've teased enough Deloitte people. I'm sorry you're not an Olympian. But you actually operate under a lot of stress and complexity, which is similar to leaders in the sports space and whatnot. So I kept saying yes. I said yes to Deborah. I kept saying yes. And I'm like, I don't know exactly what this is. Someone is inviting me in. They think I have the right background. Let's see if I can do a nice job. You know, and I kept trying to do it my way but in a collaborative way, right? So if I go further with Deborah, whenever she was bringing me in for a talk, she'd be like, we need a talk on this. She never told me how to do the talk. Like, okay, this is how I think we attack it. So Mm -hmm. I always said, I'm going to try and serve whoever's hiring me well, but bring a level of expertise and nuance. So I I think that my answer is a lot of iterations, a lot of saying yes. I did not prune a lot from my professional life until the last year. You know, Mm -hmm. I did a huge pruning because this is too exciting a challenge for me. Um, and I guess after the last piece of my family always thought what I was doing was really cool. I guess yeah. high school, she still thinks I'm really cool. Yeah. I, I, and you know, that, that she needs to meet Deborah because that's the only way I stay cool for a while. But she, <laughs> you know, she's yeah. thought her dad's been cool for what, 15 years now. I hope we can keep that going. Did you always know sports psychology? Like, was that like when you were an undergrad, what did you major I, in? I, yeah, I'm a big old geek. So now you're gonna get the full geek story. So now you've opened it up. So one, um, I played all sports growing up and my parents would not allow me to watch te- um, sports, uh, watch TV on school nights unless it was sports. So there was some intrinsic value to sports according to my family. And they're not sports nuts, frankly. They just 
think it's people striving. Two, I kind of fell in love with tennis. I played all sports and Jim Layer was there. So I tore up everything he wrote in the 80s. Then my dad's a minister. I swear he did all of his counseling on a basketball court or baseball field. I wasn't going to go into the ministry because my mom would have kicked my butt for that because she kept complaining about how hard the pastor worked. So somehow I had to figure out how to serve people in a non-clinical setting. And this is where I landed. I taught my first class in sports psychology in 1996, still as an undergrad to my peers. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's the toughest class I'll ever teach, right? When half the class is people you were hanging out with the night before, probably too late. Right. So this is just what I do, you know, and it's not, I take it very seriously. I, I never do it very tritely. I'm not, you know, if, if you, I think I have the most boring Twitter and LinkedIn feed known to man, because to me, this is a profession, not a hobby. Right. So um, it's, yeah, it's just what I do and how I go. And it's uh, Deborah made me feel the, the firm space was the right next space. And she's been a hundred percent right. Right. Yeah. Challenging and engaging. Deborah, one thing for you that I, I know from the first time we met and, and I was on the receiving end that my team was on the receiving end of your help and your network and your network is unbelievable. And I suspect now is even more so given the last 10 years and what, you know, Deloitte is a nice backdrop to be able to (laughs) create new relationships. And so I do have a question for you about that, about how you've cultivated and maintained relationships and how you are able, it's interesting, like even your relationship with Dr. Nail, right? And it was a, it's a five-year relationship before it actually materializes into to him coming here. Not to say that's the only value, obviously you're con- contributing value, Dr. Naylor, in other ways, but, I, but it is an interesting, you, you know, dynamic of that length of time. So tell me a little bit, Deborah, just about, because it seems like you're effective and you have a great network and you've been able to leverage and use that network to, I think, even serve your own brand in a way, if that's fair. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information. So that's an interesting question. Um, I've never been afraid. I mean, and this goes back to, gosh, if I can remember, I, I think there's a certain boldness to my approach in, in people and curiosity that you, you just never know investing, you know, I, I know your, your relationships and soft skills. I, I'm not sure I can articulate the quality, but I, I think I might frame it with boldness and curiosity. For example, in my dissertation, I picked up the phone and called some of the most reputable and frankly famous behavioral scientists from the FBI and got help on my dissertation because I was curious, I invested. I, I think I'm pretty good at, at helping build an alliance that's mutually beneficial, but not in a tactical way, right? right. It's, I mean, it can be tactical, but it's just, I'm a, a people person. And I think maybe it's, it's more towards curiosity where I'm fascinated by people and their stories and what they can bring and um, lessons that can be learned, insights that can be gained, and, and a lot of listening and, and sort of qualitative investment helps me build what I need to build. But I'm also very intentional about like when it comes to the, the strategy of work, if we don't have, and, and Adam's referred to it a lot, I mean, we can't have hacks serving our people. So we have to have the, the 
the we have to have the knowledge and experience yeah. to know what we're looking for. We have to know the depth and breadth. We have to know the frame of reference of the culture. And once I get that target, I'm relentless in pursuit of it. Quality makes our business. If we don't have the quality, we lose trust. We lose, lose credibility. But do we have to, sometimes I feel like a used car salesman, man, I'm going, let me, let me tell you what a great opportunity this is. But through those relationships, I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, the, the treatment landscape is so difficult to navigate. One, we, we sort of sell the idea that we're next level. Everything we do is elevated with the highest level of expertise. And we highly control and curate the relationships that we have. We earn those relationships by the um, quality of the relationship between us, but also you got to pay to play. I mean, at the end of the day, there is a financial factor to getting people. What are you going to expect if you're not respecting the value of what your consultant brings to the table? So when we talk about that network, if if we're lowballing it to um, save money, or we're just not we're not respecting the clinicians, we're not or in consultants, and we're not respecting our people. We want our people to have the best of the best of the best. Right. We know how to look for it. We're going to build those relationships, and then we get the click of the experience that we need. But without those relationships, we had a very complex case recently because of my network, because of my relationships, I was able to get somebody in very quickly with a top expert internationally known that you just, you can't pull the trigger on that if you don't have work actively to build those relationships. Maintain, you know, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I was reflecting on some of the questions that you were asking. I don't know what it is, but I think it's my curiosity I think it's um, my innate Texas charm and humor, my investment in staying close to, you know, kind of fueling the relationship. It's not just about what they can do for, for us. It's let's get to know and build a relationship as people and colleagues and, and um, tuck everybody in, in, a, in an attentive, intentional way. Yeah, Dr. Miller, you were responding. I know you like, I feel like you have some insight here based on your experience or just, I saw you reacting to yeah. it. As Deborah said, hey, it's great to hear. It's always curious as Deborah. Um, the one note I'll probably add in, and it's, it's, you know, I don't want to make it sound too Pollyannish. Like Deborah's not transactional. Never feels that way, right? In the business world, you, you, everyone's like network, 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 so you can get what you want. I, I, I never have felt like Deborah has used me to get to an end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. Um, and granted, as Deborah said, the key is to curate the best that can serve the people of Deloitte. But yeah. it's it's a really, in my impression, non-transactional approach because, you know, it's, hey, you want to do something cool with me? Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can figure this out. So notice, right? That's that's a cooperation. Okay. It's an energy. It's curious. Um, okay. I want to say that because I think it's so easy to drift towards transactional when we think about our careers. And I'm not sure it gets us where we need to go in yeah. a variety of ways. For sure. And I think two other things that popped up for me as you were talking, Deborah, the idea of quality particularly even as a as a layman out in the world with the spike in mental health and the need to, I'm hearing stories all of the time of mediocre to poor practitioners where people can't get the help they're looking for one I know there's a it's an inflection point of need also I think the, it, it didn't dawn on me until later in my life oh just like in any other business you have clinicians that are very good and you have clinicians that aren't, you have doctors that are very good, you know, and I think you're led to believe when you're growing up, the doctor knows everything, trust the doctor, you know, without any real evaluation. I know where that's a whole nother conversation of, of like how that's, I think, maturing. But when you talk about quality, 
and you're committed to that quality in connection to serving other people, and you that's that's like your, you know, where your foundation is. I think people that also find that to be important, then you have that synergy, and then it, and then to your point, Doctor, you know, about like, oh no, let's do this together. Let's do this in a fun way to to create something cool. It's like it's it seems like unbelievably awesome and sort of you're off to the races. Well, it's definitely our secret sauce, I think, but it it, it comes at a price. And so we couldn't do what we did. And and when we were kind of taking this on, one of the questions was, if you think we're just going to go from one mediocre solution to another mediocre solution, expect a different result, it's not going to happen. So I don't want a part of that. I want a part of doing the right thing with the investment that's required for our people and then going to the next level, it's not just about the quality behind it, but the reason why we have this really invested seasoned team is because we know the difference. The treatment landscape on the psychological side and even on the high performance side, it's very um, difficult to navigate. It's not, a lot of people just don't understand it. And we're like, we got you. We're going to take all of our seasoning expertise to figure out what's going on, put a plan together that makes sense. We're going to fill it for you. You don't have to do a thing because we know in this environment, the, the distraction of that elevates stress. Yeah. So we really want to put a high touch sort of concierge experience to it. So the lift, we just hear all how frustrating they can't get people. They don't know where to go. They don't know the distinctions between this and that. I'm like, we got you. We're going to take care of everything. And we can do it quicker, better, faster because we have that knowledge and expertise. But the more you kind of outsource, outsource, it kind of dilutes, dilutes, dilutes until you lose connection with your people, understanding the the... Um, the need of the organization you're serving and people get disappointed and give up because the quality on the other end suffers. And um, we could not do what we were doing without the vast emotional commitment to our people and, and the backing that we're getting just frankly financially. Yeah. All right. Well, I know we're, we're close here to the end. I I guess Dr. Naylor, from your perspective, I I, I kind of pushed one on Deborah around networking and relationship building. But I am curious from your perspective in the soft skill space, what's one that's super important to you throughout your career that if you're someone that's just building their career, you know, stepping out and, and they need to do some development, what would you do? Uh, you know, just one, huh? You know, you know I, I would break the rules, you know. Rules okay, are, okay. You can break the rules. Because so, I got two that are ringing in my head. Okay. One, invitation. You know, this idea of being inviting, right? Inviting to all in the meeting, inviting, because A, I think you want to hear those ideas so you can make those iterations. A, the more inviting one is, the more you get this energy to thrive together, right? You build these quality connections we talk about. You know, I I, um, I always say, I hope we're laying out a welcome mat if we want to have great teams, right? So invitation is so, and I like thinking of it that way. Everyone goes, team, this and that, invitation, because it's something I know how to do. I love it. Acceptance is my other one. It's a mm-hmm. big psych term. And ruthless acceptance. And acceptance is not the same as contentment. I've told that to all my high performers over the years. I can be irritated that I didn't get what I want. But if I can accept it and keep my feet moving, I'm more likely to get there. So truly understanding what acceptance is, I think is a really powerful place, right? It lets us in this non-judgmental space that keeps our feet moving, allows us to have useful emotions. So Someone can dial me up on that one. They can get the the um, the graduate lecture on acceptance and why it's a game changer. Ah, oh, I love it. I'm calling you back for a mini series. <laughs> uh, Deborah, what about you? Is there one that stands out for you that that's been impactful in terms of your career and what you? I, 
authentic investment and engagement and flexibility in who's around you, right? Because, you know, Adam is, is kind of like a piggyback on the invitation. You just never know where something cool is going to happen between people. And I think, again, that curiosity to invest and ripple out around pe people that you just never know what's going to enrich. And, mm -hmm. But it, 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 not in a dismissive way, though. I mean, there actually has to be, you know, we talk about active listening and all that stuff. But there has to be emotional commitment to the relationship. And mm -hmm. it, not just a one and done. There actually has to be active pursuit and involvement in a, a wide range of experiences around you because you just never know where something cool is going to happen. Yeah. All right. And then lastly, I'd love for you both to answer this. So Dr. Naylor, I'll start with you. Just when you think back, as you've navigated your career and you were going to give advice to young Adam, <laughs> what advice would you give him? And, and and the advice is to maybe make the path a little smoother or anything that would sort of helped you along the way. Yeah, I find that a really tough question as you won't be surprised. I feel really fortunate. I, I feel blessed with everything, every single step on my professional path so far. I think I would probably go to the be accepting and patient early in the career. It's uh and I think I was okay at it, but that's really critical. You know, I, I think I was pretty good in my 20s. I was definitely better in my 30s. And, and I hope Deloitte's really pleased with what they're getting right now. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I think patience and. Yeah. Okay. And Deborah, for you. So I, I'll, I'll probably give you two. So one that I knew then, and I continue to, to deploy today is I trust myself to know even in the in the space of heat or disagreement disapp I, I sort of always was like this I'm getting feedback or suggestions or whatever but I could sort through and trust with confidence I know what what I'm doing and where I'm going I don't have a lot of anxiety about that I haven't suffered a lot with with that so trusting myself to know where the path is going to you know I, I'm going to do okay either way. And I trust my decisions. But I think something that I've learned along the way is to keep um, open and flexible to what's ahead. While I was thinking Larry Starling, it, it, it narrowed my view a little bit to other things. And I was forced by circumstance to open the view with great results. So you just never know. And instead of interpreting that anxiously, it's like, there's some badass things out there that you didn't even know were on the horizon yeah. and um, and look at me now. So without that flexibility and, and adhering rigidly to some kind of idea of what point A to point B looks like, enjoy the ride and you never know where you'll end up. Fantastic. I am so grateful to both of you. This was a great conversation. Don't be surprised if I uh, reach out again to extend it further because I feel like there's so much we could tap into still, but I really appreciate the time and all of your wisdom. And I wish you the, the, just the best success with what you're created and what you're continuing to build. I think it's fantastic. So thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks so much, Teresa. Have a yeah, good Nice to meet you. Okay. Take care.
Thank you, Deborah and Dr. Naylor. Our time went by so fast. I feel like I could have talked to you forever. <laughs> My key takeaways beyond what you're doing in the space in terms of true pioneers are don't be afraid to start something new, that relationships, network, and persistence are extremely powerful, and of course, the comments about authentic investment, engagement, and being flexible with who is around you. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A huge thank you to our Relatable community for listening. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.